This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome. Whoa, it is raining. But thanks for stopping by. We'll keep you dry. And uh, we'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, which I was able to take before it started raining, at least in the city. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. And, Mr. Kelly, before you take off. Yes. I see you're reading something. Am I interrupting? No, not at all. Okay. No. I'm just curious. You know, you love music. Yes. All kinds of different music, musicals and everything else. Yeah, for the most part. So, as a kid, did you play any musical instruments? I started playing guitar when I was about 16 years old, and I, I, it's still no good. (laughs) I have guitars, but I, I I play with them every now and then, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm not very good. Oh. You know. That's all right. Same thing with golf. I started when I was like eight and still. No good. Yeah. (laughs) So I enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy picking up and playing it, you know, a little bit now and then, but I just don't do it enough. Just curious because you like musicals and music so much. I love music. Wow. Yep. Want to know what I played as a kid? What did you play as a kid? Well, I started when I was in fifth grade. I played all the way through sixth grade. An accordion. Really? Yeah. Oh, so do you still play? No, heavens. No. I was horrible. Well, that didn't stop me from playing guitar. I play drums a little bit, too. But all my friends were playing guitar, so I thought, I'm not going to play that. I'm going to play something else. So you're the polka king? Yeah. (laughs) Five, four, three, one, one, four, five, three. I want to hear you play. Come on, man. Uh, Anyway, great. All right. Talk to you later. Glad you took up gardening. Amen. Yes. (laughs) Yes, folks. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's going on in your backyard or maybe in the front yard. What's happening in the side yard? That specialty garden space. Hmm. Don't know exactly what to do with it. The taste of the tropics. How are your house plants? Maybe they're starting to show some growth. Time to start fertilizing. And uh, using potting mixes. How important is that in your containers and pots and window boxes? Very important. How to improve your soil, shearing, pruning, removing diseases and bugs and all that kind of stuff. Using information to make good decisions. My thoughts and orchestrations are hopefully going to help you solidify the options that you have with the final judgment by you. This is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you being here and inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you're listening. Another important player in this game is Greg Harvey. He's producing again today and lucky to have him here. Mike Miller, I am, that's who, mm-hmm. host of the Garden Hotline since 1994. Five gardening books I've written, two are available in various locations, and I do write articles for the Missouri Gardener Magazine, which is a every two months publication. And uh, I do landscape consulting, and if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, mikemillerdesigns.com, and on the homepage, there's my email and phone number. You can read 
Give me a con or contact me, and we'll go from there. Today after the show, and I come regardless, rain, snow, sleet. I'm sort of like the postal service used to be. And uh, so today, Baldwin is where I'm headed after the show. And uh, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The buds are really starting to push open on a maple tree as I pulled up to the curb. The branches were really bouncing in this breeze. Stone wall. And it moves and embraces the entrance to this area that I'm at. As I step out of the car, sweet gumballs offer a chance to take a roll or take a fall. There's a knockout roast which sits on the corner of Alabama and Liberty. The raspberries, some of them have been pruned back correctly. Some haven't been pruned back at all. There's some redbud trees and a few of them still have some pods hanging on. And, uh, whoa, there's a sign that names this community garden which is along Virginia, but the sign has fallen over. Oh, kind of sad. As I walk back up to the garden spaces, there's probably between two different areas, maybe 30 different sp- spots where you can actually go in and plant your own stuff, take care of it. There's hoses and everything. So it's pretty easy to do. Part of this is actually enclosed by a wrought iron fence. This used to be a dog park, but hmm, some of it's been converted into 10 raised beds. The entrance sign says uh, garden members only, and it actually gives an address for this community garden, 4730, I guess that would be Alabama. Drip irrigation lies and waits to go. Robins and sparrows were over all over the place bouncing and I guess they were trying to get something to eat before it started raining. Deadwood dangles from a huge street tree, which oak. Hmm, I hope that car that sits underneath it, it doesn't get hit by that branch that's hanging there. The thermometer reads 40, but the wind makes it feel a little bit cooler. Foggy gray sky on this last day before daylight savings time starts tomorrow morning at 2. So remember to get up at 2 in the morning and change your clocks. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Winter's still here, but uh, we've only got another week or so, and then winter is in theory over, thank goodness. And let's go to Clayton and see, is this Tom? Is that who's in Clayton? Oh, Jim and Clayton. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. We got some complications here. All these bi- these bi- dials and buttons and everything else. But uh, how about weed control? Get out there and take a look at what's going on in your landscape or your yard. The weeds that your broadleaf weeds you're probably seeing now are probably cool season annual weeds. And to control those with anything. Okay, Jim and Clayton. What's going on? Hi, Mike. Thank, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'm planning to renovate my lawn this spring, and I have two questions. The first is, while the grass is dormant, I can easily see the crabgrass and pull it out because the soil is also moist. Will that be beneficial? And I have a second question also. Basically, if you're seeing any kind of... You have zoys, I'm assuming. No. So how would uh, you... It's a little bit difficult to tell the dis, you know distinguish between... You know, let's say fescues and bluegrasses, because the crabgrass is not really up and going yet. Well, it's the dead crabgrass that I can see. Oh, okay. 
And yeah, you could go ahead and pull it if you want to, and uh, but still realize that uh, if you're going to do the renovation with overseeding, I'm assuming, and the core aeration and everything else, that uh, pre-emergent is not going to be something you're going to be able to do. Right. My thought is that I'm going to also dethatch, core aerate, and have a thin layer of the topsoil compost mixture uh, spread, and then I will seed and put the starter fertilizer on there. Will that help prevent the crabgrass from coming up? No. <laughs> the crabgrass seed is there. So basically this is not this is going to make your grass, you know, your lawn healthier and thicker, but it is not going to, you know, sort of help control weeds. Okay, so that seed is already down. Right. And that topsoil compost mixture won't suppress that from growing no it won't actually it'll i mean it'll just give it a a nice boost just like it does for the seed that you're going to be putting down and you should probably put your you know put your seed down and put the compost on top of that oh okay okay mike thank you very much yep and then also when you know another thing that you might think about too is once you get all this done if you can some way Go go over the area, like drag something kind of heavy over it. What that's going to do is start to break up those little uh, core aeration plugs, and then store you know get the compost falling down into the actually the holes from the core aeration. That would be a, an advantage too. But that's a little bit of an extra step that you may not want to kind of fool with. Okay, thanks All right. so much. All right, great, thanks. Yeah, and it's uh, you know it's still a little bit early to put you know seed down. I'm assuming you're just trying to get all your thought process together because putting seed down too early, it may not you know have a chance to germinate or it may germinate. We're going to have another cold spell or whatever it happens to be. But newly germinated seed is really really fragile. So now let's take a look at uh, how about deep root feeding? You can still do that. Deep root feeding. That's what this is is a, where you take an electric drill and you take an earth auger and the earth auger, you drill holes and then you backfill those holes with compost. Okay, let's head to Oakville and into Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Mm-hmm. I was right down, was right down the phone. Number. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Yes, I got a problem. Galls. My tree, a pin oak, is loaded with them. And I go out in the yard every day. You ought to see the galls I pick up. They're big, and they're also causing a lot of my branches on my tree to break off. Right. Now, I uh, talked to my landscaper who had a tree farm. He said these galls could slowly kill your tree. Is that true? It would be a very, very slow process. For the most part, they don't kill. It's more of an aesthetic problem. And also, like what you're experiencing, the galls finally can make it so there's no va- the veins or the vascular system doesn't go to the end of the branch. Then we get these strong winds, and that's a weak point where the gall is, and that's why these things are falling. Well, he said that before I didn't have no galls, but he says they travel from tree to tree. Well, they can. They're, just, they're small wasps is what they yeah. are. Yeah, but like I said, I mean, I am, I am getting some heavy, heavy galls. I'm, I'm kidding you. Well, some, I mean, some of them get big because what happens is the female wasp, and it's not the classic kind of wasp, just yeah. keeps going back to the same spot. And then each gall causes that bloat, or each, yeah, each insect, each larvae of the wasp causes that bloating, which is actually what we call the gall. But what can you do about it? Not really. To be honest with you, there's very little. 
if anything. Okay. Well, all righty. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'm picking up buckets full. <laughs> you must have a huge tree. Yes, but, I uh, do. It's, it's, the tree's about, uh, about, about 46 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's not too, there's really not too much you can do. I mean, uh, I mean, time the spraying or anything else to kill these wasps. And the wasps do have a tendency to stay kind of in the neighborhood of the tree where they were born. Now, if there's strong winds, it can blow them to other trees. But for the yeah. most part, it is the red oak group as opposed to the white oak groups that gets this. I don't know how big your yard is, but if this is really problematic for you, maybe think about getting a new type of tree going. And then if this becomes too much trouble to you, then you could have this tree taken down once the other tree gets some size and maturity to it. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Yeah, it, that's it's you know that's a really a tough one. There's, I mean, just not really too much that can be done. Let's go now. Let's see what can we do be doing right now. Take a look. There has been, as I said during the good gardening stroll, there is a lot of dead wood hanging from trees and everything else. So. Have a you know have an arborist come out, and even if the branches aren't snapped off, whether it be galls, whether it be storm damage or anything else, get your tree deadwooded because that's an invitation for other problems. Mary Ann yeah. in Chesterfield, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Can you hear me? Yes. I thought my call dropped. <laughs> um, I uh, have a two little round arborvitaes on each side of my uh, front sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And they, I guess, from the snow are all split open and kind of, you know, the center, which is all brown, is all showing, and then they're sort of flopped open. What can I do uh, to fix this? Trim them back? Tie them up? Globe arborvitae really, you know, pruning them was kind of an impossible circumstance. Hopefully what has happened is, you know, the flexibility of the plant is there. So as time goes on, it may pull itself back up. So I don't know how long it's been sort of laying flat. But you can also look and see if any of these, you know, let's see, the branches are actually broken. So just look down in there and you'll see some cracks in the branch. And if you do see some cracks, then probably these are just going to have to be taken out and Replace with either uh, something else or with the same variety of plant. Oh, okay. Wow. So it, tying, you know, kind of maybe putting a string or a rope or something around it, maybe. They're not flat. They're just very kind of split open. Right. And it, that, that's the way to the, that snow that we had when it was 10 inches. There's a lot of, yeah. you know, of the evergreens that experience that kind of problem. But slowly but surely... If they, you know, if they're good, they're strong, they're healthy, and everything else. Some people across the street from me have uh, Fitzer junipers. They were almost uh-huh. and good size ones, and they were almost laying flat on the ground. Now they've pulled themselves up. I have boxwood and I have mugo pines, and both the boxwood and the mugo pine have pulled themselves back up. So it may uh-huh. just be a process where just you know wait for a little bit, and you've got a you know good opportunity or time wise. Probably until, you know, mid to late May to replace these if you want to. Or you can wait till fall to replace them to see if they do pull themselves back up. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I'll yep. be patient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's unfortunately with 
you know, all the more or less evergreens, whether they're azaleas, rhododendrons, pines, spruces, or anything else, the center of them are always really pretty ugly. A lot of times they don't have any needles at all, or like what you're experiencing or seeing is sort of the brown aspects of it. It looks like Mr. Kelly's coming in. Mr. Still got a minute. Oh. Um. How am I going to fill in this minute? Let's see. <laughs> Let's say, folks, you know, de-icers and everything else. I don't know if you probably didn't put any de-icer or anything, snow melt or any of that kind of stuff out for this little snow that we just had. But uh, that, remember, runoff, if it's not good quality stuff, can do some real damage to your plant material, to bed space and everything else. So putting some gypsum down in those spots will help. So just realize gypsum actually binds up, let's say, the de-icer qualities and pulls it past the root system of your plant material. So that's something you could do. You want to go ahead, Mr. Kelly? If Dean is there, we can go ahead. Oh, not quite yet. Okay. All right. How about your house plants? Starting to fertilize. If you start to see some good growth or some any new growth on them at all, this is the time when you start fertilizing and feeding them. And that, you know, but right now, because the days are still pretty darn short, you want to fertilize them at half label rate. So whatever it says, one tablespoon per gallon or whatever it is, just cut that in half. If your plant material is not showing any signs of growth yet, do not fertilize it yet. So wait until they're actively growing before you fertilize. And then, of course, there's still other plant materials like orchids and things like that that may be in bloom. Anything that's flowering, you want to fertilize as well. And fertilizing means, again, regardless of what, if you're using orchid food on the orchid plants, half the label rate. So always read the label and make sure that you're getting the right amount because putting too much on, you could cause problems from various, you know, various factors. So just kind of keep that in mind. This is really crucial. Now, once the days get longer and the plants start really showing some active growth, you can do the full label rate. And if your house plants stay in the house, you're probably going to fertilize a little bit less often than if they're out in the landscape or the yard because all the rain and everything else will, you know, sort of leach out a lot of the nutrients. So we got the weather people. Nope, not yet. Okay. <laughs> this is really difficult trying to coordinate all this stuff. But get out. I'm going to go back to that storm damage thing because we're talking more winds today, 45-mile-an-hour winds potentially. That is some really tough gusts. So a lot of the branches that may have you know, not had any kind of problems at all, all the different wind circumstances we've had this winter – you know, you might, you know, there may be some cracks in this wind. We may have another strong wind again, but we don't know. So just be really conscious and careful of watching everything. Okay, let's. That's the weather sounder there, Mike. And is that, that means that we're is? taking over. Okay. Yes. I Dean DeVore is here, and he has the, <laughs> the update on the weather system that's moving through and still some pretty heavy rain out there. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, though the weather outside is raining, which is you know not all that bad because we want to have plenty of moisture in the soil, 
So the root, it helps the root systems, helps the plant material and everything else. Just realize that it's a good thing to have happen. We've had plenty of moisture this winter, but it never hurts to have a little bit more. So, hmm. And if your yard has been taken care of, then it should percolate down, take care of everything, all the plant materials that should. Start seeing big puddles and things like that, hmm, not so good. Also, when it's really wet, stay off of it because you get, compact the soil down. That's what we've been talking about for years and years and years, not necessarily just when it's raining, but when your dogs run along the edge of the fence on the, your side of the fence and all of a sudden you can't grow anything there anymore, it's because the soil has been compacted. You just have to watch out about walking too much on really wet soil because you can compact it pretty quickly. Let's head out to Chesterfield. Linda, how are you? I am fine. Good morning, Mike. Um, I wanted to respond to the woman uh, who had the problem with the arborvitas. Uh, We had issues. Uh, We have four tall column-type arborvitas that splayed open in the snow a few years ago. And there is a product that you can buy at the, you know, any of the local nurseries or um, home improvement stores, but it's just a roll of Velcro. And we really, you know, for the large branches, we had used um, just a a vinyl colored rope or covered rope, Mm -hmm. but the small ones for anything fragile or smaller, um, just put the Velcro on it. It's green. It blends in. You don't have to take it off. In fact, it will work for next year's snow as well. Uh, that lasts for several years, and it will put the uh, you know plant back into the shape <laughs> where you want it, where it was before the snow. Well, perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I've sort of pulled things back together myself with bungee cords, but I didn't realize they had a Velcro. Yeah, it comes in a roll, and it's just, I mean, there are, you know, yards and yards of it, and it will last a long time, but it really does. Uh, winter over, we've had uh, some of these on for four or five years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, great. So well, thanks. Tech- Sure, protects for the next snow as well. Right. All right. Great. Thanks, Linda. Sure, and thank you again for your show. Well, thank you for having me on your show, as you know. And uh, tips like that from somebody that's, you know, I mean, I know some things. I don't know anything or everything by any means. So let's head now to North County. Marge, what's happening? Hi, Mike. Uh, I have a problem. My for various reasons, I still have leaves on my lawn from last fall. Raking's not my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> and when do I have to start worrying about my grass? Because uh, my yard, front and back, is completely covered. Uh, you should start worrying about it, like, right now. I mean, really, through the wintertime, there are funguses actually grow, you know, if the humidity is high, and that's what happens. That's, what's, that's what leaf piles or layers of leaves on top of your lawn keeps the humidity high. And there's two different kinds of fungus problems that actually happen in the winter. They don't kill, but what they do is just weaken your lawn in general. And then a weaker lawn is going to be more, prob- or more prone to have real damage when the, really the summertime fungus diseases come around. I see. Okay, well, I, I'm 86, so it's going to take me a couple weeks to get it all done, but I'll start raking. Uh, do you cut your own grass? No. Well, no. It's the same service that does the grass and the leaves, but we've been waiting for them since November, and they just haven't come. I'm thinking mostly because we get dry weather for a day or two, and then we get the wet again, right. and they just haven't made it. So, okay, Mike, thank you very much. Certainly. But I was going to say also, I mean, if they have mulching mowers, they don't have to really rake the leaves up and get rid of them that way. They can use mulching mowers on them. I see. Okay, well, thank you very much. Certainly. And anybody else has any questions or concerns, 314 
1-800-925-1120. Speaking of funguses and all those kind of things, Make sure you go out, and if you have any kind of liquid chemicals in your garage, and they've, you know, an unheated garage, they could have some real, let's say, trouble as far as if they happen to freeze at all. And anything that's granular in the bags, the humidity and everything else inside your garage may have gotten into your bag. So check out all this stuff before you actually have to use it. That's going to be much better than all of a sudden getting out there and trying to put something down or trying to spray something and finding out, hmm, this doesn't look right or doesn't whatever. And always read the label. Even if it's a product that you've used before, don't fool around with this kind of stuff whatsoever because sometimes the manufacturer will change some of the you know product, let's say uses, not necessarily, let's say uses, let's say dilution rates and everything else because they've done more and more research. These chemical companies are constantly coming up with new products, but also the reevaluating old products that they have. And that's really important that you keep up with all this. If you don't keep up with it, then it's going to be really, really some, you know, potentially major trouble for you. And uh, I'm going to go back and talk about the cut flowers again, because I've actually had a couple emails from people that, uh, you know, I've talked about cut flowers and what you need to do. But making that cut at a 45-degree angle after you bring the cut flowers home and cutting a couple inches off the stem like on roses or something like that makes a big, big difference. Also, mixing in that packet of chemicals, preservatives, into the water and then putting the plant material, the stems, down in that. And making sure that you do not have any of the leaves of the plants down below the water line because that can create, you know, some, let's say, damaging... I don't want to say totally damaging, but it can create some problems related to some fungus. And that's why you want to avoid that. So, you know, stay away from that, doing that kind of thing. And uh, the wildlife, they are really getting hmm, hungry. So you can expect if you live in an area where deer or any kind of wildlife has been problematic, they're going to really be coming up close to your house. And as soon as anything starts coming up, they're going to help themselves to it because there's really not too much you know, out there to eat. And the birds have been really kind of spectacular lately. We have a couple window boxes in our kitchen window, Tracy and I, and these are the ones that I have herbs in. And the other day I looked out and there was a couple doves, a male and a female dove, sitting in our window boxes. It was nice and sunny. You could see that they. it was one of those really pretty darn cold days. So they just came and landed in the window box to get the to get some nice sun, so that was really good for them. And then the next day they came back, but I was just coming back from my walk, and the one of the doves was sitting near the front door, you know, our side door actually, and it I scared him when I turned into the into the yard, so he flew off, and then the female was already in the window box, and then she decided to take off too, and then now the last couple of days there has been no sun whatsoever. So anyway. Okay, let's go to Troy, Illinois. Linda, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you this rainy morning? <laughs> Very good. Okay, I am dreaming about my third year of gardening. Uh, the first year I had zucchini aplenty. This past year I had tomato aplenty. But I had squash bugs in my zucchini and totally decimated everything. I have a feeling I have a little nursery of happy uh 
squash bugs in my garden right now. What can I do that I can get rid of them before I even start my garden? <laughs> There's really not too much to do. Most of the, you know, the insecticides, the organic types or anything else are pretty much contact killers, so there's not a preventative type thing that you can you know, put down there. It's not like weeds or something along that line. All right. Sorry. Aaron, catch my little eyes on them, huh? <laughs> Right. Just you know, keep, you know, keep your eyes open, and as soon as you start seeing them, you know, go after them and use. There's uh, many different kinds of organic insecticides that you can use especially on edible-type stuff. So just head to your favorite garden center and get some of those and kind of go from there. Okay. Thank you so much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey, guys, it's Alex Ferrario. Join me and Amy Mark Scores for Chili's Week in Hockey as we dive deep into the blue season every Monday night. Notes from around the league and everyone's favorite, what's up with that? 8 to 10 Monday nights on KMOX. Pure Air Natives. That's a company right here in St. Louis, and they specialize in seed and plants native to Missouri and the adjacent states. Pure Air Natives. They have an extensive inventory of over 300 native plant species. Their seed is really very, they're, I mean, it's, I met with them, and I'm, I'm very impressed with the whole thing. Just the, the staff, everybody really was very, very interested in making sure what this is, what we're talking about, what they're talking about, is having plants that are native to here. Native plants means a lot less work. Now, it's going to take a little while to get everything established, just like anything that you're going to grow that's small or from seed. So just understand that. And it's Native Grasses, Wildflower Seed Supplier. 25 years they've been supplying custom seed mixes for prairies to attract bees, birds, butterflies, and other wildlife. And uh, this is the time to get the seed down during the dormant season. So why don't you give them a, well, why don't you just contact them? You can go to pureairnatives.com. That's P-U-R-E-A-I-R-N-A-T-I-V-E-S.com. And start your legacy. You can't beat those wildflowers. Home openers. They're just so fun. Unofficial holiday in St. Louis. Nothing captures the excitement of opening day. Quite like King MOX's Kegs and Eggs. Presented by Budweiser. Now celebrating its ninth year. Kegs and Eggs will kick off opening day in the Cardinal lot. Across from Gate 6 of Bush Stadium at the corner of Broadway and Spruce. Kegs and Eggs is your VIP ticket to our hometown holiday. Tickets are on sale now at KMOX.com slash kegs. Kegs and Eggs. Sponsored by Jim Butler Chevrolet and American Eagle Credit. Union. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Hello, Beth. Beth lives in Chesterfield. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. Say, I need help combating wild violets in my lawn. This has been going on for 10 years, and I've had several different companies say they can help me with that, that they need to get ahead of it early in the season. But then later in the season, there they are again, and I just don't know how to get rid of them. Yeah, it takes multiple applications. That's you can't just put it down. You know, let's say a control once and expect it to you know get it under control because the violets they're probably one of the toughest, if not the toughest, weed that we have because they okay. produce seeds in a couple different ways, and they also come back from the root system as well. So they they can't just do something once. 
and then think that's going to take care of the problem. So, you know, that's, you know, you got to get a company that's going to come back and take, you know, and take a, you know, take a look, check it out and stay on top of it. There's nothing else that can be done. What product do you recommend? Well, there's no specific, you know, there's lots of different products, are, you know, which will help control it. So a pre-emergent will help with a seed germination and then a post-emergent after that. So like a broadleaf weed killer after that. So, and okay. also what really helps too is if you don't want to necessarily cut your scalp your lawn down, but if the, you know, the violets can be stepped on or anything else, or if you, if you have a huge area that's just violets to kill all that stuff, kill all the violets off at once. So in other words, go after that spot that's solid violets with Roundup and kill everything. But that's going to make a, you know, a dead patch in your yard until you can get some sod put down or some seed to germinate. So it's, it's just going to be a real difficult, tough job. Yeah, that's what I'm finding. We haven't been very successful, so I thought maybe you could give us a new solution. But yeah, we've got our work cut out. Yeah, us, it's so. and it's not it's not going to be easy. I mean, even places like the botanical garden, which been on their lawns for how long? A hundred plus years, they still got you know outbreaks of violets sometimes. So it's just it is just a really a tough weed. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do our best. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Guess what, folks? Soil testing for a healthy lawn and garden. That's a lot of times, there's a lot of errors made. Let's say you decide, okay, I want to get a soil test done. But you don't know exactly what to do. One of the real problems is not taking enough samples from different areas, let's say, within your lawn. And within your lawn, that means going down below the grass, you know, grass blades, down below where the root system is. So you don't want to, you know, your sample of soil filled up with a lot of organic material because that's not going to work. It just doesn't. It really kind of screws things up. And then taking multiple samples and then blending that together. So multiple samples from your front lawn, maybe multiple samples from your back lawn, you know, then a separate sample for your vegetable garden, separate separate sample for your azaleas and rhododendrons and things like that. So understand that that's really important. Also realize that most turf grasses, flowers, ornamental shrubs, vegetables, and fruits grow best in a slightly acidic soil. And slightly acidic means like from 6.1 to 6.9. Seven is neutral. So this whole idea or concept of just putting lime down without having a soil test done, you could be going counterproductive to the whole scenario. And realize that certain plants like hollies, azaleas, rhododendrons, blueberries really need even a more acidic soil. So find out what your soil pH is and then find out what other things that are maybe problematic. Because if the same fertilizers have been put down year after year after year, the last two big numbers on bags of fertilizer are phosphorus and potassium. And they stay in the soil for a long, long time, where the first number is nitrogen. The nitrogen goes up into the air pretty quickly in only a few days. That's why the soil test will never indicate that you really have any nitrogen there because the plants have grabbed it, but it's not just sitting in the soil. And high levels of phosphorus and potassium can be really damaging to the root system of the plant material. So get this thing done and... I'm not going to say it's going to solve all the problems, but at least you're going to know where you're starting from. Getting a test on anything, whether it's yourself or any, your dogs, your pets, your cats, or whatever, 
finding out what's going on is really very important. If you don't do it, then you're just, I mean, you're just kind of, I guess, waving in the wind in a way and just hoping that you're going to hit it right. And uh, soil tests should, in general, just a regular fertility test is sufficient. It includes what that will include. The information you're going to get back is a pH. It's going to include the acidity, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, the organic matter levels, and the cationic exchange, which I would go, cationic exchange, what's that? And you should get a soil test done every two to three years. There's no getting around it. Just stay up with it. It's going to save you a lot of grief because you're going to have the information there. And even though you're not doing this work yourself, make sure that your lawn service has this and make sure that they follow this. And if they're coming out to do something and they don't actually tell you what they're doing or why they're doing it, then I would be a little bit suspicious myself. They should be able to talk to you and tell you exactly what they're doing and why. And if you haven't had a soil test done, then there's certain things that they should just not be doing, like putting down lime. There's no reason to put that down unless a soil test indicates that your soil is very acidic. So there's soil test is an excellent gauge of soil fertility, an inexpensive way to maintain good plant health and maximize productivity without polluting the environment with over-applications of some of the fertilizers and nutrients and things like that. So... If you have any questions or concerns, we do have another hour, the tip of the trial hour. So give us a call. Get in line, and we'll talk to you after the news. King OX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on King OX. Yes, folks, welcome, and we'll be taking the, or I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But as you know... Daylight savings time starts tonight. Yes. Actually, tomorrow morning at 2 or whatever. But uh, related to that or past that, next holiday that's coming up is St. Patrick's Day. Mm -hmm. I see you're wearing your Irish shirt. So what do you do for uh, St. Patrick's Day? You know, usually I don't do a whole lot because I have to come to work so early the morning after Ah. that I usually don't do much. So it just kind of depends on what day of the week it is and, uh, you know, how much Irish I've been the day before. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're always overly I'm irish always irish so it's not like one day you know exactly. it's like yeah everybody's irish no i'm irish every day that's what i thought yeah okay. so just curious what are you doing michael miller i don't know yet really? <laughs> yeah. okay we don't do too much you know we're not party animals we're too old oh come on you're never too old to rock and roll true yes. mardi gras there is oh yeah right <laughs> were you there no Oh, good. Heavens no. either. Yeah, that's, that's a little <laughs> After much. 17 years of Soulard living there yeah. and having to deal with that circumstance, woo. So we you know, we just don't go backwards. I don't blame time. you. Don't blame you. <laughs> All right. See you later. And I guess we'll actually see you at uh, 930. I'll be back at 929. We'll get the latest from Dean. Okay, great. Well, folks, welcome and the tip of the trial. I'll be giving it shortly, as I said, but if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Greg Harvey will be answering the phone. I'll ask you your name and where you're calling from, and that's about all you need to tell them. Then we will talk. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selections, ups and downs. Uh, Don't know if the pansies are at the garden centers yet. Usually it's about this time of year when they start showing up. Your daffodils and your crocus and some of the actually very earliest uh, 
spring flowering bulbs. They're finished. Winter aconite is one of them. It's already done. And uh, some places, maybe not, but um, you know, the few that I have, they came out and they gave me some relief. And now the foliage is there, but the flowers are over. How about your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, your perennials? The Lenten rose. You know what the Lenten rose is? Well, L-E-N-T-E-N, Lenten rose. Check it out. And uh, how about your roses? How about shrubs, trees, vines, or water gardens? I'll share my thoughts. But remember, my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take. It's strictly offered for you to maybe consider. As I said before, Greg is answering the phone. He's producing and uh, running the board. I mean, you should see all the dials that he has to fool with while we're – I'm just you know, standing here or sitting here talking. So uh, during the week and sometimes on the weekend, I do something called a good gardening stroll, which is a, actually a consultation where I come to your home. And I do come regardless of weather. So uh, – I'm headed out to Baldwin after the show today. Hopefully it won't be raining quite this hard. But uh, if it is, a lot of times when the weather is bad, it gives you real insight on, let's say, water coming down the downspouts, where water sits and causes problems that may be not quite as obvious when it's not raining. So that's, there's really an advantage to coming out when things aren't perfect. And uh, today's tip of the trowel is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. And uh, this is a time of year where maybe something's twanged or your interest, let's say, and you live in Belleville, and that happens to be roses. Well, Belleville has the area, Belleville Area Rose Society. Or maybe you, all of a sudden you were thinking about something or saw something on the Internet or bonsai. There's a bonsai society, Society of Greater St. Louis. You live in Boone County? Well, Boone County has a garden club. The Caseyville Gardeners, the Concord Garden Club, the Daffy Dill Garden Club, Design Concepts Garden Club, Edwardsville Garden Club, Fenton Garden Club. There's all kinds of garden clubs, and also there's all kinds of organizations that specialize in specific type plants. So any kind of interest that you might have, that is a great way, even if you know, you know a lot, there's a, going to be an amazing amount of stuff that you're going to be able, oh, yeah, I have kind of forgot that, or it's just going to really make it so you can really have a greater enjoyment for the plant material that you're growing. And uh, the, only, the only thing I don't think there is a plant society for is lawns, because they're horrible. No, I don't know. But anyway. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We'll be back after these messages. The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Over the river we go, over to Belleville. Jim, how are you today? Good. Hey, Mike. Uh, about 15 years ago, I planted a black gum tree, and uh, it's a, it was about 10 foot tall and maybe about three-quarter inch diameter trunk. Um, it leaps out every uh, spring and has beautiful color in the fall, but after 15 years, it's still about 10 feet tall and about a three-quarter inch trunk. Whoa! Yeah, um any idea what, uh, I mean, it it's, looks very healthy, and uh, I, I can't figure it out, though I know they're 
sort of a slow grower anyway, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's a little bit uh, uh, too slow. Yeah, that's beyond slow. That's yeah. non-growth. What my guess is the area that you have planted it, I don't know how big the hole was to, you know, when you planted it, but I'll, for anybody installing any kind of tree, the hole should be three times the diameter of the root ball. Don't put a lot of organic matter in there or anything else. Just, you know, good, you know, good soil. And uh, black gums, they they can take a wet soil situation. So that's maybe, you know, moisture-related type thing that that could be, you know, let's say styming the growth. But I still think it was probably the original hole that you dug that planted it. So in other words, it's almost like a bonsai tree. So in other words, the clay soil that's in your neighborhood or whatever has just captivated the root system and kept them you know, just like a bonsai has those little, like, say, ceramic dishes that keep the root systems confined, that's what's happening to your tree. Do you think it would be wise to dig it up and replant it? or uh, That might be a little bit extreme, but what you might do is do something called deep root feeding, and that's where I've talk, you know, I talk about taking an electric drill, just going beyond, let's say, where the original root ball was, and auger some holes down with an earth auger, which has about a one-inch one drill bit size, one-inch diameter. Auger holes all the way around, uh, about six or eight inches deep. Backfill those holes with compost, and then go out another six or eight inches and do another circle around the tree, and then go out six or eight inches and do and keep going out for you know several you know several feet and see if you can enhance you know make the soil so it'd be a little bit more amenable to the root systems laterally growing okay well i will give that a try i appreciate the info sure and i hope in 10 years you don't call back and say that tree is still only 10 (laughs) 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 thanks jim thanks mike and we're going to save gas stay in belleville jerry yes uh mike uh i have a river birch in my front yard it's about 35 years old. It's a huge, beautiful tree. Uh, it's about 30 feet from the uh, from my sidewalk and from my house. But I have some surface roots that are racing towards my sidewalk. I'm wondering if it will damage the tree if I dig down around those and cut those roots off, say, six or eight feet back from my sidewalk. Uh, it won't be good. Let's put it that way. I mean, anytime you reduce the amount of root system, there is basically the root systems in kind of a symbiotic relationship with the above ground growth. So once you start removing, let's say, roots, then the nutrients and moisture that all these roots are uptaking, you know, actually support all the growth above the ground. And so even if there's less roots to a certain percentage, it could have an impact on the above ground growth. So you could do it and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. But uh, there are probably so many roots. River birch have a lot of lateral growth, and every tree does. And if the soil is even a little bit more clayish than, let's say, really rich and everything else, which most of our soils in this region are clay-oriented, but uh, what's going to happen is there's there's still going to be a lot of roots that it's not you know, that you're not even seeing that are right on the surface that could undermine your sidewalk. But if this is something, I mean, it could cause you real trouble. And they may just go underneath the sidewalk and not cause any trouble at all. So if you want to go ahead and do it, I would. But just realize it may have an impact on the above-ground growth of the tree. And it may not help your sidewalk whatsoever. All right. 
thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's kind of a little bit confusing, but you never know, you know, what's going to happen. We've got some, you know, maple trees, you know, they're actually sugar maples, and they're, you know, they're, maple trees are in general surface-rooted as well, but uh, consequently we have it in between the, in the strip between the sidewalk and street, and we do have some damage because our house is, you know, was built in 1949. Trees were probably planted not in that year, but the trees are fairly old. But they're not doing a whole lot of damage to the sidewalk, so they're going underneath it and coming up on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jerry. Now let's go. Let's head to Kirkwood and see what's going on with Dennis. Hi, Mike. Good morning. A rainy day here. Um, I planted some red German garlic in late October in pots, and by Thanksgiving, I had some green uh, sprouts, and I uh, covered those uh, sprouts with some uh, mulch, about, probably about five inches or so of mulch. By uh, January, those green sprouts had come through the mulch, and they were continuing to uh, come up, go up. Since we've had the real cold, of course, the, uh, all those sprouts are brown and wilted now. Um, is that red garlic going to be okay? It should be. I mean, the onion family is pretty tough stuff. So whether it's the wild onions that are in people's lawns and that kind of circumstance or in the planting beds. So, I mean, they, the foliage, as you're seeing, can experience, you know, some damage due to cold because extreme colds, is, I mean, that's kind of what we've had. So that's kind of what you're looking at. So just, you know, think about that. What you could do, I don't know how big the pots are. You can, you're going to be able to see where some of the, the brown foliage is. You could just, you know, kind of gently dig down there and pull one of them up and just take a look at it. But I think if there would be a problem, it wouldn't be necessarily related to the foliage. It would be a problem of the pot and the distance between the edge of the pot and actually where the garlic bulbs were put in is, wasn't adequate enough to act as an insulator for the, our winter cold time temperatures because I'm not speaking directly of garlic, but a lot of I plant a lot of bulbs in pots, and there's you know I'm really kind of worried that some of these pots, you know, the bulbs actually froze because of just I mean these are pretty big size pots as well, but uh, you know there's been like one or two winters over the, since we've been in our house in South City where it's been so severely cold that most of the daffodils, most of the crocus, and everything else that I had in pots you know, just didn't make it. They got frozen. When I dug them up, they were just all mushy, so they got rotted and frozen. Okay. Thank you. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you could leave it as it is or just kind of, you know, continue on that way. Um, That's, you know, it's, you know, I love growing stuff in pots, but you just never know what's going to happen with them. Even if they're protected, a lot of times people pull them up close to their house, but if it's underneath the eave, then they're not going to get adequate moisture. So, that's something that's not going to really help at all. So just good luck with that garlic. And uh, if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Other things that you need to be thinking about is uh, putting insects down, in, insecticides down on your turf grass in relationship to what kind of impact it may have on bees. So just know that that could be the case. So the best thing to do, if it's a little early, you're probably not putting any insect down, whether it be grub X or anything else, you know, that you're going to put down. 
Mow all the areas before applying your insecticide. And remove most of the weed. That what that does is remove most of any kind of weeds that are in there that have flowers, and that means the bees will not be coming in into the lawn area and looking for any kind of, let's say, flowers where they could pos- possibly get some pollen or whatever. Apply the insecticides early in the morning or late in the evening. Bees are less likely to be active at that time of those times of day, and certainly when the air temperatures are below fifty-five. The bees just don't bother coming out. And also between areas where you have a lot of flowers or you know flowering type of plants that are attractive to the bees, put a buffer zone, a strip in between the areas that you're going to treat in your lawn and these landscape beds. That's really crucial and important. And consider spot treatments versus broadcast you know, treatments as well. And always, you know, read the label on the insecticide that you put up or that you're planning on using and see if there's, you know, less toxic to some of the bees. Okay, let's head out to St. Charles. Greg. Hey, Greg. Oh, Greg hung up. Wow. That was. (laughs) Okay, let's go to Vince. And he happens to live in Fenton. Yes. Go ahead. Okay, Mike. Mike, uh, I was wondering, I, I see these uh, trucks come down my street broadcasting the salt on the street, and it comes all the way up to my garage sometimes, covers my front. What is that doing to my soil? Does that raise the acidity? No, it raises the alkalinity. Oh. Now, you know, what, so in other words, so even, you know, let's say there are, you know, it just depends. You should call the city that's, you know, spreading and ask them what they're actually spreading. Because some of the salt products, some of the de-icers are a lot more friendly to the environment than other ones. Now, if it's the old classic rock salt, that's, you know, that can do some really major damage to plant material and to the soil both. Now, if they're using other types of products that are less problematic, so then it's going to be less damage. But I would certainly get a soil test done and find out what the soil pH is. Well, but, that's my second question. I got a soil test done. Uh, at your suggestion, I look at the soil test results. It says that I have pH at 5.5. <laughs> I have acidity at 4.0 MEQ. Do you know what that means? That you have a very acidic soil. So whatever they're putting down is not impacting your soil whatsoever. Uh-huh. Well, they're recommending a lot of lime here. Yeah, I can see why. Because as I, I don't know if you were listening earlier. But, you know, lawn basically wants to grow in a soil that has a pH someplace between, let's say, 6.7, 6.8, 6.9, down to 6.1. So you have a s- extremely acidic soil. And it says organic matter 5.1%, so I don't know if that... So, um, well, I went ahead and put that... A couple of weeks ago, I put down a bag of lime, and it seems to suggest that uh, I should uh, do that, space that out some... Right, and you should probably get a type of lime that's a slow-release type lime as yeah, well. Pelletized, yeah, pelletized lime. Okay. And uh, how, how far away from the liming should I do throw out grass seed, or is, should I keep those separate? No, no, they have nothing to do with each other as far as counterproductive. Okay, so they're just recommending nitrogen and lime. Seems to my, my phosphorus, potash, and they don't seem to be recommending anything for that. Right, and they're always going to recommend nitrogen because nitrogen, two or three days after you put down a fertilizer, regardless of the amount of nitrogen it has, 
that dissipates and goes up into the air. The, in, I, the only time it comes back down out of the air is when there's lightning strikes. Okay. Well, that's probably why my, so, my uh, grass seems to keep dying off. <laughs> also, maybe cutting it too short. You know, be conscious oh, no, no, of that. I always cut it as high as I can do it. Oh, good. But, it, but by, by July and August, it seems to be dying out on me every year. Well, if it's bluegrass or fescues, they're cool season lawns, and they have a real difficult time. That's what it is. So, Okay. Thank you so much, Mike. Certainly. And Mr. Kelly. Thank you, Mike. We're going to step into the Air Comfort Service Heating and Cooling Storm Center and check in again with Dean DeVore here at 930. And now back to Mike. Whoa. Was that lightning over my shoulder? Yes, it was. Oh, I'm glad because I'm glad something didn't just pop in the, in the room here. So Didn't hit the pole, no. you know, flagpoles at the Soldiers Memorial. But This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We still have about 20 or 25 minutes or so of the show and we're headed out to St. Charles. Hi, Greg. Hi, Greg. Hello, hello. Hello. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for taking my call. Sure. I uh, love the show. Look forward to tuning in on Saturday mornings. I have a uh, lawn care question. Uh, moved into a new house recently. The back portion of the backyard is uh, against a forested area. I got a lot of that brush cleared out last year to install a fence. And on the bare ground, I'm uh, really trying to get grass established. And I did everything by the book last fall, uh, aerated, put down compost, and got it to take pretty well. There's some thin spots. But basically, I just wanted to hear from you if there were uh, any recommendations to really get that established this year. Anything I can do on the front end of spring to help promote good growth as we uh, move forward in the spring. When you're doing it from seed, just plan on every May and every September overseeding, composting, core aeration. I mean, even twice a year, it doesn't matter as you're trying to establish your, your lawn. You could just do it once a year as far as a core aeration, but just realize it's going to take a considerable period of time twice a year to put the seed down to get it thick. Also, I mean, an area that's you know near a forested circumstance, the, if there's larger trees even set back a little bit, the root systems go beyond the drip line, and that's competition for anything that you're trying to grow in there. Okay. Anything in the way of fertilizer you would recommend? Uh, for seeds, I would just use seed starter. You're putting yeah. the compost down. That will help feed the soil, but then this fertilizer will actually help the grass plants. And using a seed starter, that's formulated specifically for newly, let's say, young grass plants. I see. Yeah, it seemed like the fall growing season was a little bit short before that uh, first frost last year. So right. I wasn't sure if, if, you know, common practice is to seed on the front end of spring as well. It sounds like. It Absolutely. Is. I mean, just don't get it down too soon because, you know, the weather and everything else temperature wise. But uh, if you're not putting any pre-emergent down or anything else, when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, you can put the seed down. But you have from that point all the way up until probably... Uh, let's say maybe the 1st of May, but you should get your seed down by then. That way you can get established well enough before the really uh, the hot weather starts coming. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you do the same. Now let's go to Crestwood and go into Donna's yard. Hi, Donna. Hey, good morning, Mike. How Hi. are you? Good. Good. 
Nikki, um, I've been plagued by nutsedge grass in my landscaping soil. Tried spraying it one year. Um, the next year, I sprayed again with from you know insect whatever it is from a different nursery. Uh, tried that. Then I read online, you know, dig up each piece. So I tried that. So now my whole landscaping area, the Lariope, is like drowning in that side of grass. And I, um, so I cut it back last fall just so I could see the Lariope. I didn't, you know, just go down to the root or anything, just the tips of it. How can I get rid of this out of my landscape soil? Basically, um, using a, a product, an herbicide specifically to kill the nut grass. It's got to be like something like sedge hammer. And uh-huh. once you have a well established colony of it, it is going to be multiple years to finally get rid of it, whether you're pulling it, whether you're spraying it, doing both, or anything else. I've tried the sedge hammer. Uh, didn't, in fact, it came back like ferociously. So I'm. You know, it's actually, you know, can't even see the the plant material anymore. It's like drowning in it. So I'm just so frustrated. Don't know what to do at this point. Well, I mean, it grows where the soil is damp. So this Mm -hmm. is probably lower, wetter spots or something along that line. Improving the soil, killing everything off in this area, you know, in certain areas and coming back and replanting it after you get the nutsedge totally under control. But again, it is going to be years and years and years Mm -hmm. to finally get rid of it. There's no quick fix whatsoever. So it. Can you get rid of all the soil? Can you just dig up your, your plants? And <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's in my landscaping, so it, it looks terrible. I, I don't know what to do. I'm, yeah, I mean, I guess you could, but you don't, you know, just make sure that you're getting your, let's say, soil that you're going to bring back in from a quality company like St. Louis Composting. So mm-hmm. if you don't, you don't know what there could be possibly in that. A lot of times some of these companies will, let's say, New subdivisions and things like that, they'll bring the soil that they bought from where you know new construction is, and that soil could be horrible. It could be filled with weeds. It could be filled with who knows what. So when would I spray? What time? When do I spray again? As soon as you start seeing it grow. And the sooner you get it, okay. I mean, watch it because as the season goes on, all plant material gets a let's say a waxy cuticle, a waxy surface to protect its from you know itself from getting sunburned. But what that means is before that waxy cuticle comes, that it's very easy and the the absorption of any kind of herbicide is going to be much better and much more effective. Later on in the season, yes, you can put it down and it will help some, but it's not going to be nearly as effective as it is early in the season. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No hope. Okay. <laughs> no hope. Thanks so much, Mike. Well, <laughs> probably the only hope you have is... Sell your home and move to some place that doesn't have nuts edge. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks sure. a lot, Mike. <laughs> Let's go over to Freeburg. Hi, Dale. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. Hey, Mike. Uh, I have a um, I have an, uh, a one acre plot where my house is, and my house was built in 1857, so it's an old place. In front of the house, about. Oh, about a short sand wedge away from my house, uh, maybe 30 yards, are two large maple trees. And I know they were pretty big trees in 1939 because my neighbor told me that. Now, underneath those trees, I have some junipers and whatever, but there's an area maybe 20 yards from the trees towards my house. I have a, a difficult time growing grass, and I, I'm 
pretty well convinced after listening to your show that it isn't the shade, it's the roots. Exactly. Now, here's what I need to know. Is there something I can put in there, or shall I just uh, have another cocktail and worry about it uh, being barren? Because, I mean, I'm, you know, I've got about, I'm, I'm old now, and I've only got about three or four more years to live and uh, barbecue. So I'm not afraid to just let it sit and be barren, but if I could throw something in there that would just kind of look green, it, don't, it could be weeds. I don't care. Basically, yeah, that lady who called and she had such a problem with violets in her yard. Violets may uh-huh. be able to something that you could get, you know. I mean, there is violets that are, you know, sold as wildflowers. So, th- I mean, yeah. that or the classic type ground covers like the liriope or the ivies or the periwinkle, those type things. Uh-huh. But it's going to take a lot of work to get that stuff established. So I'm worried about time. Yeah, I'm I would say, work. I, you know, I've, I've got four more years to barbecue and that's it. <laughs> right. I would say the best thing to do is just don't look in that area if it bothers you. I, absolutely. That's what I thought you'd say. And for that reason, <laughs> I'll have one more cocktail. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dale. Mike Miller, KM Wash Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for a KMOX Sports Doubleheader today. First up, it's the Cards in Houston in preseason play. Emron pregame 1145. First pitch 1205. Immediately followed by the Blue Sharks game. Hear the Blue Sharks game in its entirety on Y98 FM beginning at 2.30 p.m. It's a sports double play Saturday. The Cards, the Blues on KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. The city of St. Louis is where Lori lives. Hi, Lori. Hi. I think our weather's interfering with the phone call. Really? Bummer. Yeah. I, first I had you, and then I lost you. Ooh. Anyway, I had, um, I got a typical city yard, 40 foot, you know, front of, ah, can't even talk, 40 foot city property. My backyard gets that late afternoon and the sunset. I had thinning grass, and I had more weeds than grass. Therefore, I listened to you a lot, and I went out and I got the uh, pre-emergent and put it down right before that last snow. Not the spring snow that we had, but the one before that. I was wondering, I wanted to put a grass down that is strong, and I was told there's one that you can even use for horses or large, large dogs. And I would like to have it because I think it was sturdy. But I don't know what the name or the uh, the number for the grass would be like, PK, whatever. And I was wondering if you could help me with that. I would probably think it's just a, t- a variety of fescue, like K31 fescue. Okay. That's, I mean, that's kind of the original fescue grass, which all the other, let's say, more designer-type fescues have been hybridized from. That's one of its parents. So, but st- any lawn circumstance, regardless if it's K31 fescue or anything else, buffalo grass, all that other stuff, it's still going to be, it's going to take a lot of work. There's no, I mean, lawn here is the very, very tough because we're on that transition point. We're too far south for the fescues, really, and the bluegrasses to do well because of our temperatures in the summertime so hot. And we're too far north for the zoises to do well in the wintertime because it's too cold. So in this transition, everything is very difficult. Okay. When would be a better time to put that down 
when I do get it. Uh, probably September is going to be the ideal time because the ground is going to be warmer. And the pre-emergence you put down earlier before the snow didn't do anything. Oh, really? Because no. the snow just thinned it out and washed it away? Well, not only that, but the ground temperature was still so cold that the weed seeds were not going to be germinating by the time it got diluted, like you said, by the rain or whatever it happens to be. So always, okay. you know, pre-emergence go down when the soil temperature is around 50 degrees or so. You can get a soil thermometer for that. Or when the yellow forsythia is in bloom in your neighborhood. Oh, okay. Well, that's something I didn't know. Because when you Google stuff, they give you a, a generalized answer and not right. based on location. You should be listening to the Garden Hotline. <laughs> Well, I thought that too. I, <laughs> I listen to you every week, even when I drive I'm kidding you. But no, it's when the I yellow forsythia is in bloom, that's when the soil temperature triggers those blooms, and that's when it triggers the actual seeds from to germinate. But also realize that you can't put the pre-emergent down and then put lawn grass seed down, because the pre-emergent will kill the lawn grass seed too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that answered that. At least I won't wind up with a swamp, just a little bit thinner lawn. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mike. Sure. I appreciate it. Yeah, and anything, again, anything from seed, it's going to take multiple years to get it nice and thick. So thanks, Lori. And now Carol in South County. Hi, Mike. Uh, it is a delight to hear you, and um, I'm trying to figure out how I could record your program because sometimes I miss it early in the morning. Um, I just have two real well, quick Well, let me questions. answer that question. There is something called a podcast, and that oh. actually is a recording of my show that you can listen to online. Oh, really? Yeah, and go, how do I access that? You go to kmwex.com and go to a podcast. Very good. Awesome. Um, two real quick questions then. I have an Akuba that is very old. It probably started in my cousin's um, New York City garden. Whoa. Uh, right. And it has done beautifully well until last year. Um, the leaves began to really turn. It looks like there's something that's eating at it. So I did the scrubbings, the washings, whatever it was on advised. Now I notice that it continues to die up at the top, the individual leaves, but at the bottom I see absolutely new growth coming. I do have a, in the center, is um, stalks that had been cut down that look like they are dead. I, I understand that. Right. Can I do something to make this survive? Can I cut it all the way back to those new growths? Yeah, you might as well because it sounds like the old growth. So we're talking about a house plant, correct? No. <laughs> Believe it or not, it grows in St. Louis outdoors because I know that's an in-house Right. Plant. It I mean, is against my brick wall here, and it's so protected. It has grown gorgeously for years. Wow, years. that's a real surprise. So I, I would say any of the growth that is not functioning well, cut it off, and hopefully the new growth that's coming up from the root system will be able to survive. Okay. Um, the next question that I have is that I have an old dogwood. I, actually, I had five of them originally, and they were taken from a Springfield wild area. The uh, problem is three of them have survived over all of the years, and this one is one of the three is finally dying, and I've been cutting it off limb by limb. Eventually, I'm going to have to dig out the whole thing. Could you just tell me, can I replant another dogwood there or some type of a, a tree there? Yeah, just don't put it right on the same spot. 
unless you're going to dig up the entire root system because the existing root system will stay there. It will compete with the new whatever you put in there tree's root system. So, okay, so how far away from like that? Like about uh, 8 or 10 feet, and I'd probably use a Kusa dogwood, K-O-U-S-A, as opposed to the native dogwoods. They, see, they bloom a little bit later, but they seem to be a little bit tougher. Okay. Well, my yard isn't that big, but I'm going to try because it's just killing me. <laughs> you know, I have to lose the south right side out my window. Thanks a lot, Mike. You're just a delight. We appreciate you here in St. Louis. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. And I think that's going to be pretty much it for the day. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I hope to see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.